a mic on, it'll probably work a little bit better. Um, critical company, that's what I want to title this message today, is critical company. If you notice, you notice I've been titling every message for the last few months, that's because of the podcast. I have to have a title to put on it so y'all can go there and find it. If you didn't know about it already, we have a podcast, you can find us, um, Grace Family Worship Center Facebook page, it's, it's Grace Family Worship Center in Excelsior Springs, Missouri. Go there and look for us on Facebook. If you're listening to us out there on the podcast, we've been getting plays all over the world. If you'd like to check out our church, go there and check out our church, like us. Um, you'll get all the, of the uploads of the podcast as well as pictures and things that are going on in our local church. Um, so this, this message here will title Critical Company. The, the company that we keep is critical. It's critical, the company that we keep, the people that we hang out with, the people that we have, we have relationships with. An example of this is in 1 Kings. I'm going to get right into the scripture this morning, but first I need to set the stage. But I'm going to let you know where we're at so you can look it up in your Bible. 1 Kings 12, 6 through 11 is what I'm going to read today, but I'm going to tell you about the whole chapter and even some before this. So remember, uh, you remember David? King David, David and Goliath, everybody knows who he is, right? Everybody's heard the story of David and Goliath since we were kids. Well, he, be, he became the king, and he had a son named Solomon who preceded him as the king, right? And, and King Solomon, when God said, Solomon, you can ask me for anything that you want to ask me for, and I'll grant it for you. King Solomon said, I would like to, be the, I would like to have wisdom, with the wisdom of God. King Solomon was the wisest man. God granted him that as well as riches, and he made him the wisest man on the planet. The wisest man who ever existed was King Solomon because he had the wisdom of God. It wasn't natural wisdom that he had. It was wisdom that came from God. He was the wisest man ever. He had 700 royal wives. He had 300 concubines. Do you understand what this means, royal wives? They were wives from kings of other nations, of daughters. They were daughters of kings from other nations, what I mean to say. They were wives of royalty that he had. And kings from all over the, all over the globe came and gave him, gave him gifts and asked him for his wisdom. And Solomon had it going on back in the day, right? So, so his, son was, his son was named... Uh, Rehoboam. I'll get that in a second. Solomon died, and Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took over the kingdom of Israel. He was the king of all of Israel, of all the 12 tribes. And the assembly came to Rehoboam, and I get Rehoboam and the other Aboam, the other Aboam mixed up, Jeroboam. That's been plaguing me all week when I've been studying this thing. So Rehoboam, the whole assembly of Israel came before Rehoboam and, and asked him, they said that your father, your father has put a heavy yoke upon us. It's very heavy. We can't carry it. And we'd like for you to lighten the yoke, lighten the yoke and we'll serve you forever. Right. And, and so he said, go away from me. In three days, I want you to come back. Get, let me have time to pray about this, I guess, and meet my wife. He didn't say these things, but I'm guessing what he would have, what he would have been thinking. Let me have time to meet with my counsel and, and think on this right here for a while and come back to me in three days. So in 1 Kings 12, 6 through 11, picks up right here. Then, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father. Who was his father? Solomon, while he still lived. So who assembled this group of elders? His father. Remember what I told you about his father? He was the wisest man who ever lived. Right? So I would say that his wise counsel would be pretty wise, wouldn't you think? I wish I had Solomon's wise counsel, his elders, right? So, so Solomon, while he still lived, and he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? Now, pay attention right here. He says, how do you advise me to answer these people? I want you to catch that because I never caught it before this time when I read it. Go on to 6. I'm going to show you something here in verse 9. And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them, and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. He would have been the king of all of Israel forever, is what the wise counselor said to him. The counsel that the wisest man on earth put together says they'll be your servants forever. And verse 8 says this, But he rejected 
the advice which the elders had given him and, and consulted the young men who he had grown up who had grown up with them, who stood before him. So these young men, now you think about this, they were brought up with the king, the king's son. So these weren't peasant boys we were talking about, right? These boys, that, these young men who brought up with him, they would have, had, they would have been of, of good upbringing, right? Upstanding young people, you would think, to be growing up around the king's house, to be able to have fellowship with the, the son of the king, right? You would think this about him anyway, but verse 9 says this, And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people? Who gave, leave this verse up here for a second. How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten, lighten the yoke which your father has put on me? See how he answered them? It was different. It was a different answer they gave them. When he was talking to the elders, he said, how should, or when he was talking to them, he said, how should we? There was a connection there between him and the younger people. Anybody get this before? I didn't, I've never got this before. God showed it to me this time. And in verse six, he said, how do you advise me? So there was a separation there between him and the elders. But there was a connection there between him and the young people. It was the company that he kept. Yeah. It was the company that he kept. The, the company you keep is critical. Yeah. The company that we keep is critical. So he got into this, and his pride got in the way. So he was saying, we don't need the advice of my father's elders. The wisest man on the planet put these wise men together. We don't want to deal with you anymore. You all are old and washed up and your husbands. Me and mine, we got this. Me, me and my people, we got this. Sound like somebody you know? We do this a lot, especially as young people. Even older people do it sometimes. We got this. I can handle this. So pride got in the way of him. Pride got in the way, and then he compromised. Pride got in the way. The next step was compromise. And I have some scriptures to go along with this because I want you to see that it's in the Bible. If I fall down up here today, you all won't laugh, will you? <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says this. We're going to come back to the, to the 10 and 11. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrects or, or corrupts good habits or good morals, the King James says. If you've got good morals and you've been training on the Word of God and you've been studying and you've been reading and you've been doing the right thing and you got that down into you and parents, if you've been teaching your kids these things and you've been getting the Word of God down into them and you've been studying and you've been reading and you've been pouring into them and then you let them have, hang out with bad kids. Somebody from the other side of the track, so, to, to say... It corrupts those good morals. Do not be deceived into thinking that old people and young people alike. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can hang out with whoever you want to, and it's not going to affect you. Amen. You can think, I'm, I'm, I'm more headstrong than them. I'm the leader, and they're following me. But if you're hanging out with those people, they are going to affect you sooner or later, and I'm going to show you this here in a little bit. So Proverbs 13 and 20 says this. He who walks with wise men will be wise. He would have been wise to take counsel from the older people who knew more than he did. Right? I'm talking about Jeroboam or Rehoboam, Rehoboam here. He who walks with, with wise men will be wise, but he or, or, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Will be destroyed. Psalms 1 1 says this. Blessed. This was written by Solomon. 1 1. That was the first thing he wanted to say to you. Think about that. The wisest man on the earth was going to write a book, and this is the first thing that he wrote down. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You get that? Blessed is the man who walks not with the ungodly, with the ungodly, with the foolish, with the proud. All those could be clumped together in one clump, right? So, so we need to evaluate advice. When we get advice, we need to evaluate that, that, or evaluate that advice, I mean to say. So we should ask 
is this advice realistic? Is this advice realistic? Does that make sense? Is it workable? Can it be done? Can I do this thing that they're advising me to do? Is it consi- the most important one? Is it consistent with the principle uh, with biblical principles? Is it consistent with the God? Does it line up with the Word of God? That's what we should ask ourselves about every piece of advice that we get. Will the results? Here's another question: Will the results be fair? Will the results be fair that I'm going to achieve by by this advice if I if I were to do this advice in my life? Will it make improvements? Will it give positive solutions or direction to my life or to the issue that we're talking about here, the issue at hand? These are things that we should ask about the vice. Seek advice from those for, who are more experienced and more wise than you are. We should want to hang out with people who are smarter than us, with people who are more spiritual than us, more important than their smarts, is their spiritual walk, their relationship with God. We should want to hang out with people who are like us. And if we're not that spiritual, we want to get it with people who are more spiritual than us to pull us along, right? And then meet some of their friends who are more spiritual than them and get in that group, get in that clique. Not in the clique of the world, not with our peers, not with who's going to tell us what we want to hear. Are you following me? We should seek advice from people with more experience and more wisdom. Advice is only good if it's consistent with God's standards. And then 10 and 11 says this. Got that back there? 1 Kings 12, 10, 11. Then the young man who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to, the, to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, uh, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke my father chastened, uh, with with whip chastains with with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So he's going to make it much harder on him than even his dad did. He comes back saying, "Doesn't sound very wise." So what ended up happening was three days later, the assembly of the of the nation of Israel came back, and the nation split. Most of them went away. Rehoboam only got to be the king of the cities of Judah, one tribe. He had twelve tribes. Was the king of all of Judah. Stood to inherit everything. His dad, his dad lived, he had it all going on. His dad did, and he could have stepped into that. He could have stepped into that. But he chose to follow our unwise counsel. The company that we hang out with is critical. The company that we keep is critical. Our friends, whether it be friends, whether it be coworkers. That's why when you ask for a job, when you ask me to pray for a job, I've offended somebody by telling them this before I know. They got up and left out of the church. They asked me to pray for them about a job that they wanted. And I said, I won't pray for you about that particular job, but I will pray that God gives you the job that he wants you to have. It's not about getting the most highest paying job or the job with the best benefits. That's not what it's about. It's not about what you think is best because God knows who, he's gonna, who you're going to be around on those jobs. He knows the people who are going to influ- influence you. Right? It's not just about money. It's not just about the benefits. It's not just about you being happy with the, or, or having a, a great job. It's about the people that's around you who are going to influence you and the people that God wants you to have influence over. That's why I pray for God to give you the job that you want, that, that he wants you to have, not the job that you want to have. So in, in dating, this, it's critical in dating. It's critical in marriage, right? The Bible says not to be unequally yoked. Now, we can help this before we get married, but if we get into the marriage and then we're unequally yoked, then we're, we're, we're kind of there. The Bible says we can't get divorced for that reason. Now, if the spouse who doesn't believe leaves, then it says, let it be so. Let it be so. But until that time, we've got to live it in front of them, right? 
we got to walk it out in front of them. we got to get up and go to church anyway when they don't want to go. Are you following me? we got to do all these things to try to lead them to God, not them drag us backwards. That happens so many times. So that's why it's important. I almost said young people, but old people are just as guilty of it. Older people are just as guilty of it. You're not looking for someone to date or to marry just because they look good, right? You ain't looking for them. They got to look good, too. Look at my wife. She looks good. She also has a spiritual walk. She's most, one of the most spiritual women that I met. You get what I'm saying? You don't marry them just because of the best looking one or just because they got the most money or just because they have the highest education or just what they can get you. That's not what you marry someone for. That's not what you date someone for. If you do, you're going to wind up unhappy, likely divorced, likely dragged out of the house of God where your help is. It's the silliest thing I see people do. When they get in trouble with their marriage, they fall out of the house of God. Now think about that. When you come, the word of God is your help. You come to church to be around people of like faith. You come to church to be taught the word of God. And if that's your help, why would you fall out away from your help when you need your help the most? Think about that. But this is the common things that people do. So, so it's critical in dating. It's critical in marriage. It's critical in even the churches that we choose. That's why it's important for you not to pick the church you go to. You don't go to the church because the pastor says what you want him to say. You don't go to the church because it feels comfortable. You don't go to the church because your grandma went there, so it's a good church to go to. Or because you got a friend that goes down there to the, to the Pentecostal church. You go down to that church. That's not the right reason to choose a church. You should visit those churches. You should visit different churches. You should be praying, unless God just tells you to go there and this is it for you. But you should be praying. You should even fast if you need to. But listen for God. Listen for that spirit to lead you. You'll have peace. When you walk into the right church, you'll know. You'll know that you've arrived. This is home. This is where I belong at. And God will place you in that church. The Bible says he places every member in the body as it pleases him. Every member into the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. This, is, this building isn't the church. We're the church. And he placed every one of you here, if you belong here, into this body as it pleases him. For his service. Because God gives, God gives pastors the word that you need to hear if you're in the right body. Right? Even if you get offended. Even if you don't like to hear that word that he gave you. As long as it's the truth and he lines up with the word of God, sometimes we have to be corrected. Right. But he he does that. And he also puts us in places where our talents and our abilities can be used the best to benefit that local body, body of Christ. I'm talking about. That's why it's important. I've taught you all. Everybody needs to have a job in the church, no matter how big or how small it seems. They're all equally important. We're all dependent on each other. I need you and you need me. You all remember preaching on that. I need you and you need me. So so the church that we choose is important because, believe it or not, there are some bad people in churches also. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So, so, but all these people, whether they're friends, whether they're coworkers, whether they're, whether you're dating them or married to them, whether they're they're in a church, these people all have relationships outside the relationship that you have with them, right? And these relationships that they have outside of this, are you following me? It's kind of like a web. These relationships out outside of this are going to affect us. Does that make sense? I got married to my wife. We don't really have many friends. That's not a good example. But if she did have another friend. And she was being influenced by that friend. That influence that her friend would have would have influence on me. Does that make sense? The people that you work with. I could work next to a man and his wife has influence on him. Does that make sense? So her influence on him is going to have influence on me. That's why it's important to be. Sister Liz is really laughing at us back there, babe. It's pitiful. (laughs) 
Those relationships, though, will affect you, though. And you might think they're not going to affect me, but they affect your actions. And here's where it hit me at this week. I realized this because I work next to people. You may have a job where they switch up. I see different people all the time that I work by. And some of those people I don't like that much. I got to love them, but it doesn't mean I have to like them. It doesn't mean we have to hang out after work. Are you following me? And even though I realize they're not going to have, they're not going to pull me out of church. They're not going to have that. They're not going to affect my, my actions so much that way. They do affect my attitude. Think about that. They do affect my attitude, which in turn is going to affect my actions, and it's going to affect my words. So the friendships that we keep and the company we keep is critical. It's critical. We could look at Rehoboam and say, man, he really messed up. He, he, really, he really stepped in it right there. He really messed up. But, but then you have to consider this. It was generational. Look back further than Rehoboam. Deuteronomy 13, 30, 19 says this. I, got, I have a lot of scripture today, but I want you to see this. It's just not just some crazy bullheaded man up here telling you this. It's, it's biblical. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death. This is blessings or cursings, right? Truth or a lie. Life or death. Life or death. Blessings or curses. It says, therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Descendants. It says in the King James, it says seed, so that may be well with you and your seed, so that you both may live. And that's not just a physical thing, though. That's a spiritual thing. Spiritually alive. Does that make sense? It's not just about us. It's about our descendants. It was about his, his ancestors, and it went on to his descendants also. And, and I'll show you a couple of examples of this. So uh, uh, Rehoboam was Solomon's son. Solomon lived in peace. David was his dad. They fought all the time back then. He had all kinds of enemies, and he, he, he freed the nation of Israel, basically. Does that make sense? But Solomon lived in peace. He was the wisest man on the planet. He was rich beyond compare. Maybe the richest man that's ever existed. We don't, we don't know that, but he, he's definitely up there. Robin Williams would have been talking about him if it had been a day's time, right? Lifestyles of Rich and Famous. Y'all used to watch that show? I used to see that when I watched TV, but he had it all. He had it all until lust took hold. Lust, is what, this was the undermining of the whole thing there. So lust, when it took a hold of his dad with Bathsheba, you know, everybody knows the story. King David was up on his roof, saw Bathsheba bathing, sent somebody over to get her, had sex with her, had, ended up having a baby with her. When he realized that he had sinned, he, he sent her son, or not her son, he sent her husband uh, to the front lines. What was his name? His name is... Uriah, Uriah. He sent, David sent Uriah to the front line and had him killed, basically. Then when David realized what he had done, though, he'd, he'd messed up with the sin of lust, right? It started as lust, ended up being sin. He repented. He repented. There was still a consequence for that. Everybody knows what happened, right? He lost his son. The son that he had from, from cheating with this man's wife died. There was still a consequence for his actions. But he repented, and he went on to be a great king. If you ask Israelites today, I hear, I hear that who was the greatest king in Israel, they'll still say King David, even to this day. Over 2,000 years later, 2,700 years or something like that later, they'll still say King David. Now, here's, on the other hand, his descendant, King, I'm, I'm just showing you this is generational. King Solomon comes up. He had all those things in line to be handed to him. Everything that his dad had, all the money, all the, all the fame, all the wealth, everything that his dad had, he was in line to have it given to him. God had already spoken out against this, though, because he knew what was going to happen. But anyhow, Solomon was unrepented. He felt a lust. He, he, the, 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 that same lust, the women, he had women come in, and, 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 and Solomon had 700 wives, royal wives. Think about this. And 300 concubines. 
Doesn't sound like a very wise man to me. A thousand women? What are you going to do with a thousand women? That being said, though, 700 wives of royalty from other nations, they all brought their own gods. They all brought their own gods, and Solomon allowed them to put up temples for their gods. Solomon, the Bible says Solomon himself sacrificed to their gods. Unrepented. He didn't repent of these things. His dad stepped in it, repented, and got it right. Solomon stepped in it, fell down, wallowed in it, and lived right there. Are you following me? It was unrepented sin. Unrepented sin becomes full-blown rebellion. Solomon was in rebellion against God. That's why it was, it was prophesied that, that his son would lose the kingdom. But when he came into power, the wise men said, if, you, if you'll get this right, if you'll repent, if you'll get this thing right, if you'll correct what your dad has done, if you'll correct these things, you can still live as the king of this kingdom. But he didn't do it, so, so there was a consequence to his sin also. It split the nation. God waited until after Solomon was gone and, and Rehoboam was, was in power to split that out of respect for David because him and David had a great relationship. God and David had a great relationship. Another example, you think I'm crazy and I'm reaching on this one here? Let me tell you another one. You can look it up for yourself. Another example is Abraham. Abraham was a liar. He lied. He lied and told, told them that his Sarah was his sister instead of his wife. And then the king took his wife and was going to make, her, make, make Sarah his wife. Are you following me? And then, and then Abraham's son and grandson had a problem with what? Come on, you all know it. With telling the truth. They had a problem with lying. It's biblical. You can look it up. You can look it up. It's generational. It's generational. So the, important that the, the company that we keep is critical. It's not going to affect just us. It's going to affect future generations. Do you see that in this? That I convey this clearly? So, so I had a dream this week. I had a dream this week, and my truck had broke down. This was kind of wild, but God gives me a lot of stuff in dreams. My wife's smiling already. My truck had broke down, so it was in the shop, and there was a restaurant up on Old Orchard up there, about right across from where you used to live at, Brother Stephan. Remember where Brother Stephan used to live at? It was on that part of, I think it's Old Orchard there, or changes names there. However, it was right up here. Everybody knows what that is. And, and uh, I was in there. And my wife was in there, and it was before church. And I was in a hurry to get to church because I come over here before church, and I finished my preparations to write my final notes out and everything. And I needed to get over here real bad because we were getting short on time. I wasn't finished, and I was getting really stressed out. And if you haven't ever done this before, you have no idea how much pressure it is to be here and be prepared and, and have this all done. So that's why I don't mean to be short with you before service, but I usually have a whole lot on my plate. However, my wife was there, and when she, when she got done eating, she got up and started helping them clean up and started busting the tables and things for them. And I was like, babe, we've got to go. we got to go. And Stephen came in, and he was there for a short while, and he got something, and he went back out. And, she's, and I waited on her because I thought Stephen, I didn't know, I, I thought she was going to be ready to go in time for me to go. So anyhow, Stephen left in a hurry. I think he left maybe before I realized he was leaving. And I kept on her and kept on her and kept on her, and she wouldn't come on. So I went outside, and somehow I acquired a little BMX bicycle. I don't know how I got it, but the next part of the dream was I was pedaling this fat frame down the road on this bicycle, and it was all right when it was up there at Old Orchard. The road's pretty flat, and I, I was thinking. I kept looking back for Brennan and waiting for her to come down the road, and I was getting mad. I was fuming by this time. She better be coming up here to pick me up off this bicycle, and I was thinking, it's not so bad right now when I'm pedaling this bicycle on this flat ground, but wait till I turn the corner up here, and I go down that hill. You know, we're coming up by the pawn shop. I go down that hill, but when I hit down the road down there by Kevin Street, and it starts to go up that long, it's not a steep hill, but it's a long, gradual hill, I'm going to be getting sweaty, and I'm going to be really mad by that time. 
And I kept thinking this, and, and, and I woke up, and I said, I woke up, and I was still mad at her a little bit. I said, you left me out here riding a bicycle, and I'm, I'm in a hurry. However, so I was trying to figure out what this dream meant, and, and, and maybe it's that we depend on people too much. And we depend on things too much. I was dependent on that truck, and I was dependent on my wife, and I would have depended on Stephen if he'd let me depend on him. But he left before I, before I knew he was leaving, I think. So, so maybe we, we, our confidence too often is in people, and it's in things, when our confidence should be in God. It should be in God. We, the number one person that we rely on, the number one thing that we should rely on should be God, should be number one. And we should, we should choose friends wisely so that they rely on God. We want to have friends that rely on the same way, friends with the same standards that we have. Look at there, we're on overtime. Is it getting hot in here or is that just me? Is it? Okay. That's all right. That's all right then. It's easy to rely on people, especially like doctors, and, and it's easy to rely on things. It's easy to rely on our own abilities sometimes because those are tangible things that we can see. We can feel them. We can reach out and see what the report that doctor gave us. We know these things. I can see that I have a nice pickup sitting in the parking lot, and I'm pretty sure it's going to take me to four in the morning. It's easy to rely on that because they're tangible things that we can see. Hebrews 10.25 says, fail not to assemble yourselves. We must be careful even in the church of who we hang out with. Are you following me? I'm going to give you this in Scripture. I'm not just making this stuff up. First <clears throat> Corinthians, <clears throat> Corinthians 5.11 says, not to sit at the same table with someone who calls themselves a Christian and still lives in the world. Right? Not to even sit at the same table with them. These would be people sitting in the church, right? If they're calling themselves a Christian, they're calling themselves a brother or sister, but their fruits don't show that they are. Those are people in the church, right? And it says not to even set up. I'm not trying to cause division in the church. I'm just saying we got to be careful who we hang out with. The company that we keep is critical. Even if they're sitting in the seat next to you in the church, we've got to be careful who we're keeping company with. The Bible also says not to, don't be looking around each other like they're guilty of something. Because the Bible also says, don't judge a man, but judge his fruits. We have to judge their fruits. We want to be looking for people to hang out with that have a relationship. I want to hang out with people with a relationship. And I'd like for you to have a better relationship with God than I have with God. That way you're going to pull me forward instead of pulling me back. Or being just the same as me and when we get stagnant there. I want somebody who can, who can bring me more spiritual. Are you following me to the next level spiritually? The people in the church are very important. It's critical who we hang out with. <clears throat> if you look around and find someone, uh, you find someone and agree, I don't know what I wrote that for. If you look, oh, here we go. If you look around, <laughs> I, try to, I try to paraphrase in my notes and sometimes it gets me lost. If you look around you, if you have an idea in your head or something you want to do, look around you and you'll, you'll agree, you'll find somebody who'll agree with you on what you want to do. They'll tell you, if you go to the right church, you go to enough churches, they'll tell you what you want to do is okay. They'll tell you that you're right, especially if there's a little money in the plate. Are you following me? Just like what happened with Rehoboam. He went to the wise council first, and they said, no, no, don't do that. Do it this way. Then he didn't like that. He didn't like listening to the advice of the, of the elders of the wisest man on the planet. Are you following me? So he went elsewhere and looked for someone who would tell him what he wanted to hear. Right? His peers, the company they was keeping. Second Timothy four, three and four says this <clears throat> For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. 
and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside into fables. Leave that up for one second, please. <clears throat> the truth and sound doctrine is rooted in the word. Right? Sound doctrine and the truth, the word is the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But the truth and sound doctrine is rooted in the word of God. That's why we put all these scriptures on the wall. That's why when I tell you things from the Bible, I give you scripture references. Write them down and go study them out yourself. Ask God to help you understand what they are. Don't just rely on me. Rely on your book. You got a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, see me after church, I'll get you a Bible. There's Bibles in the, in the back of all the chairs. There's no excuse for not getting your word and reading it. The truth, though, and sound doctrine is rooted in the word. Second, or, or, Paul wrote this book to, to, to Timothy, but it didn't only affect Timothy. It's generational. Who would have thought? It didn't only affect Timothy. It affects us today, and it will affect the future generations, right? This thing is bigger than us, then we could say, right? It's bigger than us. If it affected history 3,000 years ago, it affected them. Or actually, that would have been 2,000 years ago. It affected them. It affects us today, and it'll affect them another 2,000 years if God chooses to tarry that long before he comes back. So half the people, can I tell you this today? Half the people that have ever existed on the earth are alive today. Think about how big that is. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, since, since the flood of the, of the earth, when Noah was on the ark, all those people who've ever lived from that time back then to right now, half of them are alive and on the earth right now. That's amazing, I think. That's pretty amazing. But can I tell you this also? Most of them don't know Christ. Most of them don't know Christ. We should be telling about Christ, but, but, but most of them don't. When I say no, I mean really know Christ, really have a relationship with Christ. Are you following me? Because a lot of people have met him once. A lot of people have spoke to him here or there, but I'm talking about having an active, ongoing, reciprocating relationship where you talk to him and he talks to you, where you get in his word and you study his word out, where you hunger and you thirst after him and where you go after him. That's the kind of people I'm talking about hanging out with. Most people don't know Christ in that way. We have to be very selective in our relationships. No relationship can be complete without God. Think about what I'm saying here. No relationship can be complete without God because it takes his love to shine through into the relationship to be complete. Are you following me? And people who think they can have a complete relationship without God, Romans 3.23 says, I mean, I'm talking about both parties have to have a relationship with God. It can't be complete if both parties don't have a relationship with God. Romans 3.23 says this. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Very simple Bible verse. So if everyone doesn't believe that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if they don't believe they need that relationship with God, they're in rebellion to God. Just like with Solomon. If you know the truth, if you've heard the truth, and you turn away from the truth, you're in rebellion. You're saying to God that you're good enough to do it on your own. I don't need you, God. My works are sufficient. Isn't that basically what we're saying? When we turn from God, even though we know that we need him, we, we, we want to think that our abilities or our friendships or our job or whatever it is is going to carry us through. Maybe, so we have to be very selective in, in, in our relationships. So maybe you're already in a relationship, though. Maybe it's your, your family. Family, they're hard, hard ones to deal with. Some of my family turned on me whenever I came to God. I'm telling you what, they didn't want to talk to him anymore. We didn't have to, I used to party and, and, and do drugs and, and drink. And, and when I stopped doing that, when I quit living in that lifestyle, my family didn't want to talk to me anymore. Some of them. 
just, just a few of them, but that's hard to deal with. And I had to, I had to walk away from them and, and, and just let it be that way because my relationship with God is more important than my relationship with them because they're only going to drag me down. And God and the people of God, the people in the church, are going to bring me forward, right? It could be friends. You might already be in a relationship with a friend. Sometimes we need to cut some ties with some friends when we come to God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I lost almost all my friends when I came to God. Very few of them talk to me anymore. We don't have a lot in common anymore. I don't want to hear the negative things they're saying. I don't want to go to the places they're going. I don't want to act like they act. Some of us in here today have some friends that we need to cut loose. Not that you have to hate them. I don't hate my old friends. I don't hate them. I'd love to tell them about you. If I saw them today, we'd still be friendly, and I'd tell them about Jesus Christ. If I got the opportunity, if you opened the door for me, I'd tell them about Jesus. I'd invite them to church. A lot of times I say, when are you going to hear me preach? When are you going to come hear me preach? I ask them all the time, but they're not going to drag me away. That's it. I'll cut the tie right there. That's it. We're not going to do the thing. Sometimes we need to do this, though, church. Sometimes it's a job. And we have to realize those people can drag us out spiritually, right? They can drag us out in our actions. They can drag us out in our attitudes. Sometimes it's in a marriage, and then we have to deal with that the way the Bible prescribes to deal with that, right? So, so if you're already in a relationship, you may feel like you're shipwrecked. Get the decor? You may feel like you're shipwrecked. When you're shipwrecked, you're in a bad place. You're in a terrible place when you're shipwrecked. But what did the, the kids say when they said, Jesus rescues. Jesus wants to rescue you out of that spot today. He wants to rescue you out of that shipwreck, out of that bad place that you're at in your life. He wants to save you from that. But you've got to give it to God. You've got to give it to him. Those relationships you've been in, that we've been in, we've got to give it to him today. That means we've got to repent from it. Everybody knows what repent is, right? You turn away from. You turn away from that. You turn away from that, and you turn to him. You turn to God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wants to deliver you from these today. From relationships. He wants to teach you about new relationships. He wants to bring you and make new relationships. And he wants us to have, most importantly, he wants us to have a relationship with him. Amen. Right? And the people around us to have a relationship with him. Sometimes it's hard to trust that, though. It is. It is. Because we're used to trusting those, trusting those tangible things that we can see. Those people that we can see. We want to trust in those things. It's kind of like Grace the other day. I have a four-door Ford, and it's kind of tall. It's a four-wheel drive truck. And Grace is five years old. Y'all see the little redhead up here. She's five years old. And I opened up the back door the other day, and I put my hand out. I was trying to take her hand so she could step off on the running board and, and get out of the truck. And she said, I want to jump to you, Dad. I said, all right. And I was standing pretty close to the truck. And when she did, she likes to just fall over where she can reach out and touch you and just get a hold of you and fall over. But I stepped back as far as I could step back to the car next to me. And I said, now jump to me. And then she was reluctant of it. It was harder for her to trust me. It took more faith. It took more faith on her part when she had to take a step out there to jump to me. It's just like that with us and God. He's our dad. He's our dad. And sometimes he's going to require some faith of us. But we got to step out and we got to rely on him. We got to depend. I've never dropped grace. God's never dropped you. She's never hit the ground once when she jumped to me. And I guarantee he won't let you hit the ground. He will not let you hit the ground if you trust in God and you rely on God. And you got the faith to step out in him and just trust him. The Bible says, fail not to assemble yourself. Fail not to assemble yourself. We have to have friends with relationships. That's why he says, fail not to assemble yourselves, to bring us into the body. People, we're the body. Church, we're the body of Christ. Do you get the importance of that? The body of Christ. He's the head, 
and we're the body. That's why he wants us to be here assembled in the body so that we could make friends in the body, that we could have relationships in the body with people, with relationships with him. How many knows if Christ is the head and we're the body, the body has to have a relationship with the head or it's not really part of the body. If you don't have a relationship with the head, this thing here, it's going to die and it's going to fall away. And we see that with a lot of people who claim to be part of the body. They die and fall away. But if you want to stay plugged into the head, you've got to have a relationship with the head. You've got to have a relationship with the body. It's a must-have. The relationships that we keep are critical. I'm not telling you don't have anything to do with your family and, and that type of thing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying if you're, if you're married to an unbeliever, don't have anything to do with them. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that our relationship with Christ has to be number one, the highest on our priority list. And if we have to work with people who are unbelievers, if we have people in our family who are unbelievers, if we're married to someone who's an unbeliever, we've got to deal with that situation. But we also have to have relationships that are with believers, that are with people, not just believers. I don't care if you believe. I'm talking about you've got an active relationship. A relationship. That's where the power comes from. That's where the authority comes from, is that active relationship. That's where answered prayer comes from. You can talk to God every once in a while, and it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But when you have an ongoing active relationship with God, and you ask Him for something, He's going to hear you. He honors the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man when he prays according to God's will, right? How do you stay righteous? You stay righteous by doing the will of God. By repenting when you know you did something wrong. By constantly being in fellowship with him. That's what Jesus died for. And so we could be reconciled back with God. To have that relationship. A two-way relationship. Reciprocating. I hope this spoke to some of you guys today. I know that it caused me to realize some things that I have to do differently on my job. With people that I deal with at work. I have to, I have to deal with some of those relationships a little bit differently. And not be drawn out into my emotions and my whatever I get into sometimes. I can't do that. I'm not saying I'm never going to do it again because I slip and I step in it too. But when we, there, there's no shame in falling down. The shame is when you don't get back up and do something about it. That's where the shame's at. If you lay down there and stay in it and you wallow in it. Are you following me? God will restore you. He'd love to restore each and every one of us and whatever, wherever we're at. He'd love to restore you. He wants that relationship so bad he sent his son to die for us. But you've got to receive it. And you've got to trust him. And you've got to lean on him. You've got to get in his word and study that word. And have that relationship. Can I get every head bowed at this time? Daddy, we thank you for that day, Lord, this day, Lord, and we love you, Father. And we thank you for the relationships that you've kindled in this church, Father. And I pray that you will continue to grow new relationships with these people, Lord, with our families, Father God, with each other, Dad. Lord, I pray that you would just cause this place to be an atmosphere thick with love, Father God, and you would bind your body together, Jesus. We thank you for this, Lord, and we praise you for this, Father God. We thank you for your presence here that we felt this morning, Father, and we just worship you today, Father. Lord, I pray that you would cause your words to fall on good, rich, deep soil today, Father God, and take root, Daddy. Take root, Father God, that we would grow spiritually, Lord, become spiritually mature, Lord, strong spiritual Christians, Lord, with a relationship with you, Father God, a strong, intimate relationship with you, Daddy. I pray this to you in Jesus' mighty name, Father God. Draw us near to you, Dad. I pray that you would keep us safe until our next appointed time here, Father, and just bring us back here with a visitor, Daddy. Lord, we pray these things to you in Jesus' mighty name, Father. Amen. Amen.